0: Ooh. Welcome to Episode 6 of the flagship podcast of Fansided's Call to the Pen. You can find this podcast as well as all the great content our contributors put out at CallToThePen.com. I am your host and fansided contributor, Jonathan Playtech. You can follow me on Twitter, at JohnsVoices. As I always do whenever we meet, I hope to make this an enjoyable and fun experience. New episodes scheduled for Mondays and Wednesdays weather permitting. We have a lot to get to today, Wednesday, August 15th, and we will be getting to Giancarlo Stanton's clearing waivers. That's right. Giancarlo Stanton cleared waivers. He went through the waiver wire. Nobody put a claim on him. And because of that, MLB teams, or excuse me, the Marlins are free to shop him to other MLB teams, and we'll be talking about the possibility of of him being traded away from Miami. Pursuant to that, we'll also take a look at some possible landing spots for Stanton, as well as some packages some teams could offer up to try to add the prodigious masher, prodigious masher, for a playoff run. I wasn't realizing, I did not realize, he was having as, as good of a season as he actually was, Giancarlo Stanton. And, of course, what is hot and happening at com, including... Who's your, who's your true home run king? We're talking about Giancarlo Stanton. It's going to be happening happening a lot this episode. But who is your true home run king? There's a piece written about that, as well as uh, what's with the lack of stolen bases in baseball. We'll take a deep dive on both of those things. But first, scoreboard. 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 Scoreboard! Hey, Joaquin, I'm out here with Apollos Hester, wide receiver for the Patriots. You guys had one heck of a game tonight. What were you guys able to do to come back and win this thing? All right, well, at first we started slow. We started real slow. And, you know, that's all right. That's okay because sometimes in life you're going to start slow. We're going to start slow, but we're always, always going to finish fast. No matter what the score was, we're going to finish hard. We're going to finish fast. And it's, it's an awesome feeling. It's an awesome feeling when you truly believe that you're going to be successful. Regardless of the situation, regardless of the scoreboard, you're going to be successful. The Twins were routed by the Indians 8-1 in a battle of AL Central contenders. Cleveland combined for five home runs, including Edwin Encarnacion's 27th on the season, Jason Kipnis's 9th, Austin Jackson's 5th, and Carlos Santana's 17th and 18th. The Reds downed the Cubs 2-1 to one in a nail-biter at Wrigley. The Cubs eventually got to second and third with one out in the bottom of the ninth, but they were only able to scratch across one run as Rysel Iglesias gets his 21st save on the season. The Brewers were able to capitalize, albeit passively, with the Cubs' loss as they beat the Pirates 3-1 in Miller Park. This brings Milwaukee to within two games of the NL Central lead. The Giants beat the Marlins 9-4, but that was of no consequence to slugger Giancarlo Stanton, who whacked his 44th big fly on the year. The Red Sox demolished the Cardinals 10-4 to at Fenway. Rick Porcello emerged with the win after going seven innings, giving up three runs across eight hits with two walks and six strikeouts. The Rays beat the Blue Jays 6-4 to in Toronto, but it might be too little too late for the AL East as they are presently nine games back of the Red Sox. The only path to the postseason is now in via the wild card where they are tied for one and a half games back of the second spot with, get this, The Baltimore Orioles. Remember them? Yeah. I do. No, I don't. Speaking of the AL East, the Yankees beat the Mets in the Bronx 5-4, to four, staving off a two-run top of the ninth by the Mets. The Yanks now have a solid three-game hold on the first AL wildcard spot and are still just four and a half games back of the Red Sox. The Nationals beat the Angels 3-1 to one at home, improving to 71-46. and 46. They are now 2-1 and one since losing outfielder Bryce Harper to a knee injury. That's thanks in part to Gio Gonzalez, who threw six innings of scoreless baseball, giving up only two hits and walking three while striking out four. For their part, the Angels still have a slim lead on the second wildcard spot in the AL, a scant half a game ahead of the Twins. The Astros improved their record to 73-46 and with a win over the D-backs in Arizona 9-4. to Houston now has a 12-and-a-half game lead in the AL West, and the loss for the D-backs drops them to 18-and-a-half games behind the Dodgers. Oh boy, but they still hold on to a wildcard spot tied with the Colorado Rockies. Imagine that. You can be 18 and a half games back of your divisional lead, but you're still firmly in playoff contention. The Rangers beat up on the Tigers at home 10-4. Joey Gallo hit his 34th home run, which flew almost 460 feet. Not Joey Callow, Joey Gallo. Come on. The Braves beat the Rockies 4-3 to at Coors. This loss dropped the Rockies to 66-53, and now in a virtual tie with the D-backs for both wildcard spots. The next closest teams in the wildcard race reside in the NL Central, where the Cardinals and Brewers are both five games back. The Athletics beat the Royals 10-8 with what was a combined 11-run eighth inning for both teams. The loss keeps the Royals just a half game back of the second wildcard spot, currently held by the Angels. The Mariners beat the Orioles at home 3-1. to Seattle is now just one and a half games back of a wild card spot. The Dodgers blessedly beat the White Sox to improve to 84-34 and on the season! A whopping 50 games over the 500 mark. Their winning percentages back up to point seven one two By the by, that gets you about 115 games. 115 wins across a 162-game season. And to close out the night, in a battle of teams trying to lose. The Padres beat the Phillies 8-4. Philadelphia maintains the worst record in baseball, but the White Sox are only a few losses behind. That's what happened in MLB action yesterday, and this has been your scoreboard on the Call to the Pen podcast. All right. We mentioned Giancarlo Stanton, and he's going to be all over this episode because, you know, <laughs> I uh, I made a stance Last episode on Monday, new episodes of this podcast scheduled for Monday and Wednesday. You can keep up with me in the interim at John's Voices on Twitter, if you please. Should be a link in this uh, podcast post on com. But I went and made a, made a stance and I said, you know, it's unlikely that any team going out and trying to get a player, whether it be at the non-waiver trade deadline or at the waiver deadline, working the waiver wire, guy clears waivers and, you know, trying to make a Trying to make a deal after he clears waivers, it is unlikely. I said we need to dispense with this notion. I said that your best, your team's best player is going to come via trade. The best player at any position of need you have is going to come via trade again at the deadline or working the waiver wire or what have you. And then Giancarlo Stent, <coughs> excuse me, then Giancarlo Stanton happened. Sorry, I did that into the microphone sometimes. When you're working with your voice, sometimes that kind of happens, and you're not sure when it's going to crop up, and then it just does. Uh, and then Giancarlo Stanton happened. And just threw cold water on everything I was saying, which was right. I stand by what I was saying on Monday. and But now you've got Stanton flooding the market, and he is, of, of all the teams, I mean – Of all the playoff teams, he would probably be one of the best corner outfielders on the Dodgers. The Dodgers? Best corner outfielder on the Dodgers. Best corner outfielder on the Astros. Uh, uh, Presently, probably, would be the best corner outfielder on the Rockies and and Diamondbacks. Probably. Would be the best... uh, you, You see... You've got the only team, really, the only teams on which Stanton wouldn't be the absolute 100% surefire, surefire I'm talking about, like no questions asked he's better than who he is replacing. He would be probably the only teams would be the Red Sox and the Yankees with Andrew Benintendi, Mookie Betts for the Red Sox, and then Aaron Judge for the Yankees. I forget, who do the, who do the Yankees have playing left field in uh, this day and age? I But I want to say, let's see, who's their current present left fielder? Brett Gardner. All right. So you could throw Giancarlo Stanton in left field. Not sure how many innings he's actually played in left field. baseball reference it's all about picking and choosing which site you go to for uh for feeling he's yeah he's he's played no he has not played a game in left field so that would be um that'd be new territory for old Giancarlo but anyway Giancarlo Stanton hit his MLB leading 44th home run last night and we're going to talk more about that later in what's out on call to the pen and what was another loss for the Marlins and reports flowed on into the evening that he cleared revocable waivers, meaning the Marlins are free to shop him to any team in baseball. Once you clear waivers, you can just go ahead. Hey, you want this guy? How much? What do you want? You want to buy a computer? No? That's a Seinfeld reference. Usually it's Game of Thrones, but I threw Seinfeld in to change it up. Listen, we normally consider the non-waiver trade deadline to be where all the blockbuster deals go down. And again, I talked about this on Monday. But this year, one of baseball's best hitters, in fact, arguably, baseball's best hitter this year perhaps even perhaps just and the National League's best hitters might be on the move well after the non-waiver trade deadline is passed well after you get the the hot stove talk of prospect for five prospects for this guy or four for that guy well after that we're going we might see a blockbuster deal Well into August, which is something you really don't see a lot of. You'll see, you know, waiver deals. You'll see the types of, you'll see Tyler Clippard on the move or uh, Jonathan Lucroy or those kinds of guys. People who are having a down year or who are just bad and, and trying to make a, GM's trying to make a go of it somewhere else. You'll see that, but you're not, you usually don't see blockbuster deals and it would be a blockbuster. And Stanton is undoubtedly one of the best hitters in baseball, in all of baseball. He's got a slash line. Get this 285, 376, 646. The man is slugging 646 for a weighted on base average of 416 and a weighted runs created plus of 158 and a 4.5. Fangraphs wins a replacement. That's F-warm. His weighted on-base average is 7th in all of baseball among qualified hitters. The same goes for his weighted runs created 7th among all qualified hitters. No team would scoff. No team. No team's going to scoff at acquiring a top-10 hitter in all of baseball who is just 27 years old and signed through 2020 with a team option for 2021. Now, he's not cheap just because he signed through 2020 and has a team option for 2021 does not mean he comes cheap. I'll pull this up for you. You got the multi-year break- breakdown via Spotrac. I usually I pronounced it Sportrac for the longest time. So as we go to multi-year salaries, Stanton is making 14 and a half million dollars this year. And he is going to get a wow big pay raise in 2018, going from 14 and a half, 14 and a half million to 25 million dollars in 2018. Then he's going to be making $26 dollars in 2019, 26 million again in 2020, and a team option for 29 million dollars in 2021. Again, he's 27 now. So in 2018, he's going to be 28. 2019, he's going to be 29. 2020, he's going to be 30 and 31 in 2021. So if what is, you know, you talk about one of the greatest, one of the best hitters in baseball right now, having one of the best seasons, has had cooled off previously. Not going to lie. The last couple of years of Giancarlo Stanton, have not been as dominant, I guess you could say, as this year has been. His 2016 campaign, in which he played only 119 games, he featured a one-weighted runs created plus of 114. He only played in 74 games in 2015, where he featured a one-weighted runs created plus of 154. 2014 was really his first full season, only 145 games, but his weighted runs created pluses 161, a weighted on base average of 403, slugged 555. So he's about at his 2014 pace. Fell off in 2015 and 2016. Again, a little bit of injury time off there. But it's been not a roller coaster, I guess you could say, for Stanton. Not a roller coaster, but. He hasn't been universally dominance, dominant. His dominance has not been ubiquitous in all of baseball. He's been dominant at times. Truly. Well and truly dominant. That 2014 season was bonkers. But 2013, he had a weighted runs created plus of 137, weighted on base average of 368. Again, good. Very good. But not... Supremely otherworldly in his dominance. You have to go back to 2011 for the first full season where you're, you're talking about that kind of dominance. Weighted runs created a plus of 141, weighted on base average, of 381. he slugged 537 with a 356 on base. So this season, in terms of the on-base average and the otherworldly slugging, is really the first time those two things have come together for him in concert because in other years you'd have the a tremendous on-base average of say 360 370 plus but the slugging would be eh, around a little bit below 500 again not bad but we're talking about dominant here we're talking about great we're talking about one of the best in baseball other years he'd have the incredible slugging he would be mashing the crap out of the ball but his on-base average would be about 35% again not bad still talking dominance but now, with a 376 OBP and a 646 slugging, I think those are working together in concert to give a season one of the best he's ever had. And indeed, his four and a half wins above replacement is already third in his career. And the season's not over yet. The high point is in 2014 with 6.3, then comes 2012 with 5.6 and right after that is his still in progress 2017 at 4.5 wins above replacement. And so on the open market, Stanton would probably command 30 plus million dollars a year at least. You have to give him you have to give him the same kind of of salary respect that you would extend to somebody like Bryce Harper because Right now, Stanton and Harper are having similar careers. Different. There are different points in their age curve. Absolutely, and I would you would expect Harper's age curve to be a little bit more flat, a little bit more prolonged than Stanton, who's already entering is entering about to enter his uh, age twenty eight season. He's twenty seven years old in nine months. But on the open market for what Stanton is putting up, especially this year you're talking 30 35 38 million dollars for him on the open market. And so 25, 26, 26 and 29 if if we assume that he puts up say at least 85% of what he's been doing this year, it might be a pretty good deal. Might be a pretty good deal for Mr. Stanton. But here's the problem. Okay, he's cleared waivers, able to be shopped to any team, any and all teams. Baseball, the White Sox could pick up the phone, and say, "Hey, do you want Jake Berger?" Don't do that, Rick. I know you're listening to this show. Please don't do that. But any other team could pick him up. But where does he go? I want. <sighs> yeah, it's great. He's available. Yeah, it's great for a storyline. It's great for writing articles or columns. It's great for podcasts. It's great for talk radio. It's great for all that, but where really can Stanton go right now? The playoff teams that are willing or able to part with top flight prospects in order to acquire a power-hitting, a truly prodigious power-hitting corner outfielder in DH, most playoff-bound teams are already set at that position. They're talking about the Yankees the Nationals, the Red Sox. Unless you're going to put Stanton in left field and hope or move whomever is playing right field and say, no, 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 we gotta get got to get Stanton in there. And then most of the teams that aren't set at that position who might be able to benefit from the infusion of, of one of the best power hitters in baseball currently Do they have the proverbial horse? They might not have the proverbial horses to get it done. Because to pry Stanton away from the Marlins is going to take a lot, as it should, because he's very, very good. And he's also very, very good at a time where you need him to bolster your lineup, to bolster your run production, to bolster your power hitting for what you hope could be a very deep playoff run. That being said, I do have a few teams that might be able to put together some packages for Stanton. But, you know, this is pie in the sky. If they're able, it's not my money. You know, it's not my budget. Because the first team up is the Rockies. And they just signed. They signed before before this season. They signed Ian Desmond to a long-term deal. But the Rockies just saw Desmond and David Dahl go down, both of them outfielders. And a prospective outfielder start, outfield starting lineup of Stanton, Charlie Blackman, and Carlos Gonzalez is truly formidable. I'd have to look if, if Cargo has ever uh, trotted out to left field because I'm assuming if you trade for, for Giancarlo Stanton, you're going to want to keep him in right. But if I'm Miami, I want the package for Stanton to begin with David Dahl and Brendan Rodgers, as well as any top-flight arms from the minor leagues. If you want one of the most prodigious power hitters in baseball currently, you need to give me David Dahl, who was tearing up your minor leagues until he was recently called up, and you need to give me Brendan Rodgers, your number one pick from, I want to say, 2015. You got, the package starts with those two guys. Starts does not start and end starts with those two guys. And then you got to round it out with at least two other high ceiling prospects. Maybe they're not, you know, maybe they're not tearing up AA, maybe they're not 21-year-olds that are slugging 700 in AA, but give me a couple guys that are, you know, lights out starters in A ball in high A ball or are tearing up the rookie league. Whatever. But it's going, the package is going to start with David Dahl and Brendan Rodgers. And on top of that, even if, even if you could convince the Rockies to empty out the farm system, and, and beyond those two guys, and beyond a couple of, of pitchers, the Rockies' farm system is not bad. Not White Sox bad. Not, not you know 2010 White Sox bad. But it's, it, it falls off considerably after that. But on top of that they'd still have to pay Ian Desmond through 2021. On top of trading away Dahl and Rogers, who are two of their top overall picks in the last 3 years. So you'd have to trade away a lot if you're the Rockies. And you'd have to you'd have to swallow hard and say, well, "I'm going to give up a lot, but is it is it worth it to you?" If you're the Rockies right now, is it worth it to you to try to grab Giancarlo Stanton for a playoff run? Currently in the NL West, you're third, tied with the tied with the Diamondbacks, 66 and 53. Any other in They would be um 66 and 53 would be Far and away leading, let's see, one, two. All right, not that many leagues in baseball. You the, you certainly wouldn't be eighteen and a half games back of the divisional lead and have to hope that none of the other wild card teams come up and grab you. But of course, in the NOS, West or in the in the National League, the wild card race is not nearly as tight as in the American League. The closest guys to your wild card spots are the are the Cardinals and and Brewers who are going to be be beating up on each other until uh until the end of the season. So is it worth it now try to get Stanton now make a playoff run? Of course if you are and and now interestingly enough you're going to have to look at tiebreakers for who gets which wild card spot. Who gets that home field advantage for that number for that one game? And that's the worst part: is that if you're the Rockies, or even the Diamondbacks, if the Diamondbacks want to try to just will give you everybody for Giancarlo Stanton, please, you're pinning your hopes, you're pinning the future of your franchise on one game. You're sending away cost-controlled guys, guys who are controlled for the first six years of their MLB careers. You're trading that away for one game. You have to play and win one game in order to then try to make a deep playoff run. And you're going to have to be playing probably either the Rockies or the D-backs, depending on who you are. The D-backs or Rockies. You're going to have to be playing them, and you better hope you win if you trade away your farm system for Giancarlo Stanton. But there's another entrant. There's another team that might be able to get a deal done. They might be able to. And they've been mentioned on this show before for their conspicuous lack of movement at the non-waiver trade deadline. And also on the waiver wire. And they've also been ridiculed for Tyler Clippard. I mean, come on. And that's the Astros. The Astros could use the boost in the outfield. Because like it or not, Stanton is just miles better than Josh Reddick or Derek Fisher. At this point, he just is. He is. Best best corner outfielder on your team right now would be Giancarlo Stanton for the Houston Astros. And, unlike the other teams looking to add Stanton, the Astros have the young talent that might be able to woo a team like the Marlins looking to rebuild amidst a change of ownership. Unlike the other guys, unlike the Rockies, you know, David Dahl's a nice piece. David Dahl's a nice piece. So is Brendan Rodgers. But I I don't think they're the blue chip. I haven't looked at any rankings. But off the top of my head, I don't think they're either are true blue chip prospects. True blue chip prospects. But the Astros might have it. A package for Stanton would likely have to include Francis Marte and Kyle Tucker. Perhaps even number one, recent number one pick, 2017, J.B. Bukakis. Bukowskis. Bukowskis. That's a pretty good baseball name. But it would have to start with Francis Marte and Kyle Tucker. But that might get it done. That might get it done. Marte has a, uh, a Fangraph's scouting rating of 65. Rated as 65 And that mm, – if you have to trade away – if you just have to trade away those guys, yeah, that's a big – you're lopping off a big part of your of your farm system, lopping off the top of it, but you still have a little bit left. You still have a little bit that you might be – maybe somebody, a diamond in the rough here or there, turns into a little something that can help you or your team later on down the road. Maybe you get a number four starter somewhere, somebody to make some spot starts, whatever. Sure, the blue chip guys are gone, but now you have Giancarlo Stanton and you are perched, perched atop the AL West for a long ass time. Absolutely for a long ass time. If the Astros acquire Giancarlo Stanton, they are they are the runaway favorites for the AL West. Every, every single year. But, 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 there's one final hurdle to overcome. An incoming ownership group led by Derek Jeter. They recently bought the Marlins for $1.2 billion. Given Stanton's standing with the local fan base, as well as his position as a face of Major League Baseball. I mean, who was front and center on all those promos for the Home Run Derby and for the All-Star Game? It was Stanton. He's a, he's, a, he's a very the camera-worthy guy. The camera likes him. He's got a personality. He's got things to say. He is very good at being the smiling, emotive face of the Marlins as a franchise and as of the game itself nationally and perhaps even internationally. But given Stanton standing with the local and national fan base of Major League Baseball, Giancarlo Stanton, the asset, the asset that is Giancarlo Stanton, may very well have been a reason for Jeter's interest in acquiring the team. He may wear very well have been, oh, you know what? I want to buy this team because they have this twenty-seven-year-old prodigious hitting asset that I can then I can choose what to do with them. I want to choose what to do with him, not you, outgoing ownership group. But trading him now, trading him now, the outgrowing the outgoing ownership trading him now for parts, and good parts, mind you, good parts, mind you. Not like just trading him for scrap and going, ah ha ha, we screwed you, Derek Jeter. Have fun wearing that gold thong or whatever it is you did. Trading him now for parts might derail any planning Jeter ha- Jeter and his ownership group have already put in place or worked up or drawn up for the short and long-term future of this team. And it might nullify any deal already in place. Because when you're talking about a multi-billion dollar, multi-million dollar Transactions such as this, such as this, once there is agreement in place, there may be very well like locks that just ratchet into place, like goo, 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 goo. goo. And you can't do anything now because if I'm going to spend, like if I'm going to buy your $50,000 sports car or your $100,000 sports car, you're going to sell it to me. And if I agree in principle to buy it from you, I don't want you going out and taking it to the drag strip and burning up the clutch. I don't want you taking it, taking it out on the road course and burning up the $5,000 tires that come with it. If we have an agreement in place to buy an expensive asset, usually best business practices is there is also an agreement saying you don't touch anything anymore. Until this deal is done, we've done our due diligence, but until this deal is done, you don't get to touch anything unless you come to us. And of course, this is all a matter of contracts and contractual relationships, but the ownership group currently in place, the Jeter sale has yet to be approved by Major League Baseball as far far as I understand it. But as far as being able to do anything unilaterally, that may be gone without nullifying the deal. So if the Marlins don't want to be sold, if the owner doesn't want to sell them, fine, go ahead, trade wh- whomever you want. But if they want that cool $1.2 billion, there may be things in place that prevent saying, "Uh, yeah, let's just trade Giancarlo Stanton for David Dahl. That'd be great, straight up, let's do it. Now, of course, as I said at the... At the top of this segment, I said last episode, it's incredibly unlikely that a team can go out and acquire their best player at the deadline, or even at this point in the season. But then, of course, Giancarlo freaking Stanton had to immediately come onto the market. Should be a fun next couple of days. We'll see what happens. They have until the end of August. All right. This is the section of the show. It's on now to what's hot. On Call to the Pen, this is the section of the show where to close out the episode, we send you on your way to some of the great content currently featured on Fansided's Call to the Pen. Be sure to go there daily, calltothepen.com. Call to the Pen contributor Jason Burke has a column that asks a question baseball fans will be discussing for the next, eh, what, half century at least? Who is the true home run king? The king? No, I can't go there. The king in the north, the king of New York. Aaron Judge is my home run king. All rise. Listen, with Giancarlo Stanton, Burke makes an it asks an interesting question. Stanton is currently leading baseball again. Giancarlo Stanton—he's all over this episode. Currently leading baseball with 44 big flies, presently on pace to tie Roger Maris's single-season re- total of 61, which itself, itself stood for nearly a half-century before being bested by Mark McGuire and later Barry Bonds. But the question here is a good one, posed by Mr. Burke. If Stanton beats Maris's record of 61, will that be enough for some baseball fans? I don't know how many there are to ignore the prodigious seasons of players like Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, and Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds has a few of them. Remember that summer where Maguire and Sosa were battling out battling it out to try to beat Maris's record. But if Giancarlo Stanton hits 62, let's say, beating Maris's single season record, no longer the all-time no longer the Cumulative record. But there are a lot of people who who will look at seasons from players like McGuire, Sosa, and especially Bonds, and they will say, nah, I don't I don't recognize that. That doesn't exist to me. That's a mirage. That's bullcrap. That 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 doesn't really exist. That didn't really happen. That wasn't real. It's like the NCAA when they find out that there are recruiting violations and they vacate wins. They just pretend. They just up and pretend entire seasons. Championships even didn't even happen. Oh, yeah, that, that conference championship you think you won? No, it didn't happen. No, it didn't really happen. We didn't play that year, actually. It's not like they award it to somebody else. It's not like, well, you know what? Actually, it was Michigan State that won that year. They just go, nope, didn't exist, bro. Does not exist to us right now. Does not exist in this plane of existence that we all occupy. In this universe, it does not exist. And there are baseball fans like that. There are baseball fans who say, oh, well, Barry Bonds isn't my home run king. <laughs> not, not my president. Not my home run king. And they say, well, it's not really a, up for debate, is it? He, Barry Bonds is the true home run king. He did it. With the aid of whatever. He did it. And for a while, it was Mark McGuire. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Roger Maris is usually the the, the safe the safe place, the uh I don't know, the the fail-safe. There we go. The fail-safe point to which people return when talking about this argument, at least as it pertains to single-season home run record. And they say, oh, no, 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 Maris is still the king to me because blah, 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 because because we know Sosa did it with steroids, or we believe Sosa did it with steroids. We know Mark McGuire did it with steroids. And we know as well as we can know that Barry Bonds did it with performance-enhancing performance drugs. So Maris is the last one to do it without the aid of those things. And I would just want to ask, if you are of that mind – do you think Roger Maris took anything? I'm not talking about anabolic steroids. But right around the time that Maris was putting up this season and playing in New York, amphetamines were well into the, whatever you want to call it, the zeitgeist. Truckers were using them. Truckers have been using amphetamines for a long time. It's not like, it's not like stimulants and other performance-enhancing drugs were just discovered in 1993. They've been around or nineteen eighty nine, wherever you want to say it started. They've been around for a long time. I mean, people were snorting cocaine to as a stimulant. People were prescribed cocaine in the nineteen twenties. Do you really think that Roger Maris didn't didn't have anything? Didn't take any amphetamines? Didn't take any coffee laced with? Amphetamines to to get up after a long night out with Mickey Mantle. The Mick, hey Mick, have a drink. Hey Mick, have a drink. That's a great movie, Billy Crystal sixty one. I encourage you if you haven't seen it, watch it. Great performances. Barry Pepper is amazing as Roger Maris, and I forget the name of the actor who's playing Mickey Mantle, but he is fantastic. Uh, directed by Billy Crystal. It originally aired on uh, on HBO I want to say in the early 2000s but look it up it's called 61 it's great it's great you won't be disappointed if you are a baseball fan I guarantee you and it it gives you great things like hey Mick have a drink hey Mick have a drink but you don't think Roger Maris was was taking performance what would be considered performance enhancing drugs because remember it wasn't until the passage of the 1970, I want to say it was 1970, the United States Congress passed a drug law. And it was only sometime after that that the Major League Baseball commissioner wrote a memo stating that all players and office personnel, everybody in Major League Baseball, should comport themselves with all relevant U.S. law, which itself would incorporate the 1970 Controlled Substance Act which classified things like amphetamines and steroids and and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and made them illegal and classified them as, quote, performance enhancing, et cetera. Well, the, the law doesn't classify them, but the idea being that they are bad for you or they give you all these bad characteristics. So it wasn't until then. So you don't think Maris had a fistful of greenies? If you want to say, no, 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 Roger Maris is my true home run king until Giancarlo Stanton beats him. You don't think that Maris was taking greenies? And also, if you want to discuss if you want to discuss performance enhancing, what about you and Carlos Stanton? I'm not talking about performance enhancing drugs. I'm not talking about outlawed banned substances. I'm just talking about the diet of perfect proteins, a keto diet. Is that not performance enhancing? Was that such a thing not technically available to the likes of Jim, uh, or excuse me, Roger Maris? Or even at the time, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa? This crap wasn't around then. But you've got Stanton, whose dietary intake is probably refined. And look at Tom Brady. I, I don't eat nightshade fruits because I'm weird like that. And it helps me prolong my career. Guys are inst- players now are instruments of science more than the steroid guys were. Sure, the chemicals were instruments of science in the steroid era, but the players, the athletes now, guys are forecasting their cal- caloric intake over the offseason and and when to start lifting again, when to start throwing, and they're going to to test the elasticity of their ligaments and and all that to stay healthy or to. to to forecast how hard they can throw or how much weight they can put on. It wasn't available to Maris. It wasn't available to Sosa or Maguire. But because you have people have this odd nostalgia of, oh, it was a long time ago, so they must not have had things like that. Of course they did. Of course they had cocaine. They had amphetamines. They had coffee laced with amphetamines. Come on. So, no, my home run king is Barry Bonds. But it's a great, interesting article by uh by Mr. Jason Burke. It's linked in the post of this podcast on Call to the Pen. Elsewhere, Benjamin Chase charts an interesting progression of stolen bases in Major League Baseball. Simply put, the rates of teams attempting to steal is trending downward, and teams are getting worse, trending-wise, are getting worse at converting these steal attempts they do make. And this is... This might be earth-shattering to some people. Some people might say, "Oh my god, how could this be?" The stolen base is one of my favorite plays in baseball, and believe me, it is an exciting play. In a in a game that doesn't have a lot of explicitly exciting, explicitly exciting plays, the stolen base is an explicitly exciting play. You've got home runs are explicitly exciting. I will say extra-base hits are explicitly exciting. And I don't think that's unreasonable. So we've got home runs and extra base hits, stolen bases. And is there anything else that is explicitly exciting? Swinging strikeouts, maybe? Maybe? Diving catches? Ah, there's one. Diving catches. Home run robs, okay. But outside of that, not a whole lot chopper two hoppers and getting the blood turned in for a lot of people. And rightly so. A pop-up on the infield or a lazy can of corn fly ball. Eh. And so it may be disconcerting to see that attempts are down or trending downward as is conversion rates of steals attempted. Where is this exciting facet of baseball going And it might be going away. It might be trending towards nothingness because the smart, if you want to call them smart, I know some people bristle at that, but the age of analytics has finally become ubiquitous in baseball. Every single baseball team has an analytics department. And they are informing the general manager. They are informing scouts. They are informing player development personnel. They are informing farm directors. They are informing everybody. And all these guys are saying. They're not saying stealing is bad. They're not saying that. They're not saying you should never steal. What they are saying is like, listen, it is a simple expect probab- expected probability function. The expected conversion rate needs to be at least this high in order for steal attempts to be beneficial and that that benchmark that break even point is somewhere around 80% and it's hard to convert 80% of your steals it's hard to do that and so the more the more analytically inclined front offices are telling their managers are telling their their farm league managers are telling their farm directors don't emphasize stealing bases to these kids because, one, they will rob our prospects of at-bats eventually. Two, they might hamper the progression of players. And three, you're going to be instilling in the minds of these players something that when they get to Major League Baseball, when they get to the professional-professional level, that they're going to be doing things that hurt the team. Because if you don't convert... If you don't convert all of your steal attempts at 80%, or if your steal attempts don't convert at 80% plus, or whatever the specific break-even point, it does change with run environments, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But whatever the specific break-even point is, if you are below that, you are hurting the team every time you steal. Every single time. You are robbing us of the chance to score runs, and scoring runs is how we win baseball games. That's how we win baseball games. And if it's just been a progress of all this time throughout baseball, of Billy Beans, the Billy Beans taking hold and then popularizing. And then all of a sudden, everybody's looking for inefficiencies in the market. Everybody's trying to find that. And the rush of every single team trying to find every single inefficiency in every single market of baseball teams quickly found out, well, if you steal but you don't steal well, you're really hurting your team. So it's better to just not steal than to try to get better at stealing because we're not really sure how to get better at stealing. We just know how to not steal, and it's easier to not steal again than try to get better. What's more, what may be compounding this this effect is the fact that the game is now more than ever, or more than – recent history focused on power hitting power hitting and power pitching the game is less about contact more about what you do when you do contact the ball instead of how many fly balls do you hit what's your home run to fly ball rate instead of how often do you put the ball in play the question is what is your batting average on balls in play then the inverse is true of pitchers it's not how many guys do you let on base, it's how often do, do guys that you let on base, how often do they stay on base. Not how often do you put, let the ball in play, how often does it get converted into an out. And on and on and on and on. And the, the archetype of a base stealer is a high contact, low power, high speed kind of player. You, you, you're hard pressed to find a speedster power hitter. Some guys break the mold. Some guys break the mold, absolutely. I completely agree and understand. I'm not saying it's impossible. But odds are that if you are a power hitter, you are not primed for stealing bases, just in general, at any, at any rate, at any, quote, acceptable rate. You're just not, you don't have the speed, you don't have the quickness. Whatever. And so when you have a game as a whole, when you have all 30 Major League Baseball teams prioritizing power hitters, you're going to end up with a lot more guys that are unable to steal. Not just told to not steal for sake of not costing the team runs, not just bad at stealing because whatever, they don't get good leads, they don't read the pitchers well, any of the other myriad number of things that go into successfully stealing a base. They just don't do it because they're power hitters first, not base stealers first. Guys, that archetype of the grindy singles hitter who'll steal you a ba- he'll hit you a double by he'll hit a single and then he'll steal a base. You know the the 290 average, 310 OBP, 325 slugging, but 65 stolen bases. That guy has been phased out by all these analytics departments that say, well, unless that guy is stealing 65 bases and not getting caught at all, it's really not worth it to put up with the 312 OBP and the 325 slugging. We'd be better off getting a guy who can get on base at a 35% clip and slug 450 or 480. We'd be a better team, we'd score more runs, and we'd win more games. So it may be counterintuitive. It may, may not be a... Apparent at first blush why teams may be phasing out of the stolen base but once you consider what's been prioritized in baseball what's been prioritized by baseball if we believe the juicing of the baseballs theory if you believe all that the game is geared towards phasing out the stolen base of course all these all these articles excuse me are linked in the podcast post of this episode on calltothepen.com. All you have to do is go to calltothepen.com, search podcast, and you'll find us, and then you'll find these articles. I encourage you to go click them, check them out, and keep coming back to calltothepen.com. That'll wrap up. Oh, boy. Voice is having some troubles. That'll wrap up this flagship episode or this episode of the flagship podcast of Call to the Pen. Be sure to visit calltothepen.com every single day for great content from all of our contributors. You can follow me on Twitter, at John's Voices, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a beat. New episodes are scheduled for Monday and Wednesday, weather permitting. Thank you for listening. I'll catch you next time. I'm out. Bye.